Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. This is Gina, and today I'm interviewing Hallie Marquez, who is a certified sleep consultant with a passion for helping parents create good sleep habits for their babies and toddlers, and by default, helping parents get better sleep themselves. This is a whole family wellness podcast, and while many of our discussions center on our specialty, nutrition, we are acutely aware of the importance of so many other parts of the physical wellness puzzle, sleep being arguably the most important piece. I saw Hallie speak at a postpartum wellness mini retreat I took part in a couple months ago, and I know she will have advice you will appreciate. So Hallie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I recently um, received my certification as a pediatric sleep consultant. My background is actually in the hotel and tourism industry, but after having my son Lane in February 2018... I learned what it's like to be a working mom that doesn't get enough sleep, and I took it upon myself to get Lane sleeping the way he should be, and then started helping moms around me and learned that I could become certified in that. And it's been really great um, working with families um, to get their children sleeping better, and as a result, mom and dad sleeping better. All right, great. So we're just going to kind of dive into some questions. These are some questions that I came up with, as well as some questions that our listeners came up with. So hopefully these will be helpful. So first, we're going to start with the basics. Hallie, how much sleep do babies and toddlers need? I think that parents are often surprised to learn how much sleep um, their children need. My general rule of thumb um, is that children up to a year old need more sleep in a 24-hour period than not. So what that means broken down is newborns up to about four months old need 16 to 17 hours of total sleep in a 24-hour period. Children four months to 12 months need around 12 to 16 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. And then for our toddlers, even after they've turned one, we are looking for 11 to 14 hours of total sleep um, for your average one to two-year-old. And then for our older kids, three to five, about 10 to 13 hours of total sleep. And typically at that point, they've dropped a nap. So we're looking at overnight sleep for those three-year-olds um, and up. So dropping a nap after three. Three is the average age for dropping naps. Some kids still have a quiet period. Um, or sometimes if they've had a really long day at school or it's been a particularly vigorous exercise day, they need a little cat nap. Mm -hmm. um, but usually we see that a... A scheduled nap ends around three years. Yeah. Yeah. I think I asked you this at the mini retreat we went to that I just find that strange because most preschools that usually are for ages three to four, maybe five even, still do naps. Yeah. And I think it's a good practice for parents to think about, you know, what is that step going to be for my child? What is the expectation when they go to school and to start planning for that? A lot mm -hmm. of times parents just kind of show up and they just do whatever is happening at that school or that daycare without putting some thought into it. Right. And if we can set our kids up a little bit better, whether that's just practicing quiet time, even if they're not napping, mm -hmm. um, and trying to keep it consistent at home and at school. Okay. I'm not good at that. For the past two years, Paige has been going to preschool. And now she's in kindergarten. But we didn't do a nap on the weekends, and then she went to school and did a nap. So I'm... I don't know. I'll do it differently with Cameron. Okay, so how is, why is sleep so important 
well, yeah, I guess why is sleep so important for babies and parents? There's all those guidelines, but why is it so important to make sure that we're um, reaching those hourly uh, recommendations? Well, I always joke with the parents that I work with, what's the first thing your mom always told you when you weren't feeling well? Drink lots of fluids and get plenty of sleep. Mm -hmm. So we all Mm -hmm. know that rest is important, but I don't think we all think about all the things that happen in our bodies when we're sleeping. So when we sleep, um, our growth hormones are produced and released. A child's immune system is built. There's an increase in blood supply to your muscles, restores energy, builds and repairs tissue, reduces crying spells during the day. That's a big one that parents don't know about. Mm. Um, And it allows for growth. So if they aren't getting the adequate sleep that they need and getting into those deep stages of sleep, those types of processes that are happening, that are supposed to be happening, can't happen. Okay. Yeah, I... (laughs) I know it's taken, it hasn't taken me this long to realize this, but I do know with Paige in particular, I mean, she can get so cranky and I realize this is all kids, but I mean, she goes from this perfect little angel to this devil child. And it's always the, I would say the common denominator is either she went to bed too late the night before or, well, that's usually it. Maybe she was overstimulated during the day. We did something, you know, that was overstimulating. It was just too much. And she needs to go to bed now. And she hasn't gone to sleep yet. We haven't put her to sleep. And she's just going crazy. So I, the crying spell thing does not surprise me. Okay. So just curious. Do breastfeeding or breastfed babies sleep through the night later than bottle fed? And why is that? And, you know, case in point. My daughter, Paige, no joke, she slept through the night at six weeks. And when I say she slept through the night, she was sleeping about five to six straight hours, generally from like 11 a.m., or I'm sorry, 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. at six weeks. I thought there was something wrong with her. I mean, I I would type in like babies, you know, sleeping through the night at six weeks and nothing popped up because it happens never. (laughs) And But she wasn't breastfed. She was bottle fed, mm-hmm. um, breast milk, but same idea. Uh, Cameron, who was breastfed, slept through the night at 14 months and was waking wow. up once a day or once a night for, you know, five minutes generally. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was still a nuisance until 14 months. So, and I've heard these stories many times, not mm-hmm. just me. So what's the deal? So whether it's formula or breast milk in a bottle, there's often a misconception that um, children will sleep through the night, uh, whatever you define that as, faster, whether that's just a longer stretch or truly through the night. And the reason that we we perceive that that's what's happening is because when they're drinking from a bottle, you can measure how much milk they're taking in. A lot of times when they're nursing, baby starts falling asleep. Mom starts falling asleep. Mm -hmm. Somebody isn't paying as much attention to the milk consumption. So while baby might be latched on for 10, 15, 20 minutes, they might not really be doing anything. And so that's a little bit different because we can't measure how much milk is coming out of the breast. It's different than when you see a bottle and the ounce is ticking down. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that babies that are bottle fed can sleep through the night sooner. It's really just the practice of making sure that they're getting enough milk and focusing on full feeds as a mom. Okay. And making sure that they aren't falling asleep while they're eating, which happens. It's so common, especially with those newborns in those first few weeks. And the hormones that are released in mom and baby when you're breastfeeding are all those like eating chocolate. It's mm-hmm. all of those feel-good hormones that just make you want to cuddle up. And so it's easy to get kind of carried away with just like, oh, they're sleeping. Let's mm-hmm. let them just do what they're doing. Um, and so we aren't 
focusing on full feeds and they end up snack feeding. And so then they don't have full bellies going into bedtime. And so then they're waking up more often because they don't have as much milk in their bellies as a bottle fed baby might. Okay. So it's not necessarily that they're not like if you're pumping and you're doing breast milk that way, sometimes there's a misconception that formula has more oomph to it. And so that's why, you know, fill them them up with formula and they'll sleep longer. It's really not that it's just that they're often snacking throughout the day when they're breastfeeding. And so they're just not getting as full. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I I think I should then go into my, well, it is my next question then. (laughs) So what are your thoughts? You kind of alluded to this already on nursing babies to sleep. Yeah. So we usually say if you're one of our clients that up until 12 weeks, it's really just practicing good intentions it's a great time to spend cuddling with your baby. That's a really important bond and having your baby fall asleep while nursing. I nursed my son until he was a year old. So I was there too. It's relaxing. It's part of that bonding experience. But what you want to do is practice not always nursing them to sleep because Mm -hmm. once they pass that 12 week mark, um, nursing to sleep creates a feed to sleep association, which is a sleep prop. And that's one of the biggest reasons parents can't get their children to fall asleep and stay asleep on their own Mm -hmm. because what put them to sleep was nursing, was Mm -hmm. that close, warm touch with mom. And so in those first 12 weeks, you also have to just enjoy being a mother and enjoy the nursing process. Um, but you want to start setting good intentions and maybe it's one nurse out of the day or just practicing, not letting them fall asleep while they're nursing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So when you, so explain what you mean by sleep prop, just because I know what you mean by that. Yes. So a sleep prop is any external prop that helps baby fall asleep. And then they need that to stay asleep. So some other examples of this would be rocking as a pretty common one. And actually I feel like nursing to sleep and rocking are something that's common in our parents' generation. Um, so that's often like grandma's go-to when their babysitting is to rock. Um, so that's a big one. Pacifiers are a sleep prop. Mm-hmm. Um, even, um, like dad's special song or the, the certain way that mom sways. And so oftentimes they'll have mm-hmm. clients say, well, only my husband can get baby to sleep or only I can get baby to sleep. So that means that the parent becomes a sleep prop as well. Okay. Yeah. But, and I remember from the mini retreat that you are okay though with the sound machine. So how is that yes. different? Because if my baby woke up in the middle of the night and there was no sound machine, how is that going to not affect him falling back asleep? Great question. Sound machines absolutely are sleep props. However, it's not a sleep prop that needs external maintenance. So you turn your sound machine on and you leave. You don't have to keep replacing the sound machine or turning it on or replaying it like you would have to reinsert a pacifier, continue feeding, um, continue rocking. So because the sound machine can stay continuous, and I want to be specific, a sound machine needs to be white noise, water noise, something that's on like a continuous loop that doesn't have a clear start and end. So music is really not an appropriate um, option for a sound machine. It really needs to be that continuous cyclical sound, Um, a box fan, anything like that works. Um, But because mom or dad or another caregiver don't have to come in to 
replay it, reset mm-hmm. it. Okay, sometimes our Wi-Fi goes out and that causes a problem, but <laughs> 98% of the time you don't have to have any um, additional, once you turn it on, you're good to go. And really, it's a necessity of just our households. The dog barks, it wakes a baby up. The doorbell rings, it wakes a baby up. It's really just a way to make it easier for the house to keep functioning Mm -hmm. in a way that is feasible for all members of the family. Sure. So wait, why not music? I guess I'm confused by that. I don't do that, but I'm just wondering. No, and it's actually a common question because a lot of parents like sing to their children and doing a song before bedtime, great. Playing music for baby to fall asleep to, not great because you never know what part of that song might have helped soothe baby because if you start off a song and it's got just a certain melody, you you never know what that part was that kind of helped baby fall asleep. And if it changes drastically towards the hook or the chorus and that could wake baby up and then the song is not, it's like a roller coaster. And so parts of the song sound different than other parts of the song. And that could impact baby's ability to stay asleep if it's constantly changing. Whereas okay. that white noise is just the same sound over and over and over again. Right. That's interesting. I That does make sense. I, uh, I'm i just thinking about, I, we had that little lamb that you know you can put mm-hmm. on your kid's crib. Yep. And it has a timer. Mm-hmm. And we put on the white noise for Cameron every night for five minutes. Yeah. And we've been doing that since he was born. But it stops after five minutes. I wonder if that has anything to do with why he would wake up and not be able to go back to sleep. Because we did not do that with Paige. Uh, it yeah. might have something. It, it I still might, think yes. it had more to do with the breastfeeding and, sure. and just his personality and sure. him. I mean, all babies are different, but. Well, and that raises a good point. For some babies, some of these props might not impact them. Mm-hmm. I have right. a very good friend who has a child that's a few months older than Lane, and she still nurses her baby to sleep, mm-hmm. but Grace is able to sleep all the way through the night. So for that okay. baby, the nursing is still a sleep prop. But Grace has mastered being able to sleep regardless. And she yeah. she obviously does still have independent sleep skills because she can put herself back to sleep without still being hooked up to mom. Yeah. But for most kids, it doesn't work. So there's yeah. always exceptions and there are always kids who can figure it out or find their own ways to connect the dots. Um, but if you're having sleep issues, yeah. these are the first places we look. Yeah. And you could also argue that there are some parents, I have some friends who I can think of, who don't even care. Like they still prefer nursing their baby to sleep. It doesn't bother them that they're still waking up once or twice a night, like, because they know it'll end eventually. And they still just prefer nursing their baby to sleep. I was never that person, Mm -hmm. but I've talked to some of my friends who are like that. And I can understand that. I have a friend I'm thinking of in particular who has a daughter who's Paige's age, um, who sleeps great now. And she was, I believe, nursed to sleep at least until she was one. Uh, and I don't, so maybe it affected her for that year, but my friend was fine waking up. She would prefer still nursing her daughter mm-hmm. to sleep. And that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you just need to be prepared if your daughter or son doesn't end up be, being a good sleeper. That could have been a part of it. Is that what mm-hmm. you're saying? Could have. I think one thing that we do have to remember is I do have a lot of parents who say, well, I don't mind getting up one or two times a night. Yeah. But once we cross about the six-month mark, mm-hmm. um, at four months, we go through a four-month sleep regression. Every single person goes through a four-month sleep regression. It's the only biological okay. sleep regression. Oh. That is when their sleep changes from that of a newborn, which is two sleep stages of sleep, to the same type of sleep cycle that we have the rest of our lives and that you and I have, oh. which is a four-stage sleep cycle. Okay. So the four-stage sleep cycle has the REM sleep that we know about and three other stages. In those newborn, the two newborn 
that's what they can just sleep. They're just mm-hmm. always sleeping. They have the two deepest sleep stages in their sleep cycle, and that's all that we're working with. That's why okay. they can sleep through virtually anything. <laughs> right. Um, Vacuuming. <laughs> yes, yes. But once they go through that regression, they add the two lighter stages of sleep, okay. which are the stages of sleep when you and I might wake up around 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom, and yep. it seems to always be the same time. And that's because your sleep cycle is the same every single night. So mm. when we're waking up to feed our babies, all through the night, they are not able to have those long stretches of deep sleep, and that's when the growth hormone is released. Okay. So although we might not mind getting up multiple times a night, yeah. past that six-month mark, we really want to be thinking about ensuring that our children are getting unfractured sleep at night okay. because they need to be hitting those deep stages of sleep to get all of the benefits of sleep. So what, how many hours? So I'm, I'm just thinking about Cameron. So he mm-hmm. would go to bed at seven and for 14 months, he would wake up at 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. It was mm-hmm. just like clockwork, yeah. literally. Um, is that a long enough stretch? I mean, it was always just once a night for five minutes. Yeah, I would say that a one-night wake-up isn't terrible. We usually see um, that they usually wake up after the first four hours. The Mm -hmm. first four hours of sleep are the deepest, and the last two hours of sleep are the lightest. Okay. So we often see that first week wake-up as between like three and a half and four and a half hours. And then after that, if they start waking up every two hours or so, Mm -hmm. they're not able to connect their sleep. That's when it's unfractured, or that's when it's fractured sleep, and it's not... Um, consolidated sleep. So one wake up after five or six hours, not terrible, okay. but we just want to avoid getting in the habit of multiple wake ups yeah. after that four hour mark. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay. So I guess then we, let's see, what are your thoughts on letting babies fall asleep in things other than their crib or bassinet? I know for me, I let Paige sleep in a little rocker bassinet. It didn't rock. It could rock, but I didn't have the rocker on, or it also I think it also vibrated. I didn't use that, but it was a little bassinet, not her crib, on her back, and it was not flat either um, for about four months because it was the only way I could sleep, that Nick could sleep. So I think the key here is I'm always a proponent of safe sleep. I always um, recommend that my clients, actually, I won't work with clients that won't follow the AAP guidelines. I don't like to be involved in co-sleeping. And by co-sleeping, I specifically mean bed sharing, not room sharing. Okay. Room sharing's fine. Um, So my first priority is still the ABCs alone back and in a crib. Mm -hmm. Um, Pack and plays are also fine. Bassinets are fine. Um... I think the important thing here to recognize, and you said it, was I used this because it was the only way I could get sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, although we we don't mean to be selfish, it should never be okay to risk your child's safety mm-hmm. for your what you need, the easiest way for you to get what you want. Yeah. And so, and I don't mean that in a mean mean way because a lot of parents come to me with, I am so tired. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) And I'm like, well, if you think you're tired, how do you think that baby feels? And so it's never malicious. They're never coming with, you know, they always feel bad when I kind of point that out is like, but let's think about the baby too. Um, And it's the same thing when we talk about safe sleep. I know that it's easier. I would say 60% of my clients, when they come to me, they always say, so I let them come into bed with me because it's the only way I could get back to sleep. Mm -hmm. I know it happens, but 
I still say you should try to do everything you can to keep that baby in the safest place possible. Yeah. Because it would never be worth it to you for something to go wrong. Oh, yeah. It, it would never be worth that one decision. I've had friends tell me that their baby could only sleep on their belly. And yes. I, I, I never had to experience that. I can kind of understand that. And boy, would that scare me. I mean, if my child would only fall asleep or my baby on their yeah. belly. I, I what, what do you do in that case? But for me, with the bassinet and looking back, I, I always knew the ABCs of safe sleep, but there's nothing about flat surface on there. So she was on her back. Mm -hmm. She was by herself, mm -hmm. but she was in like a cocooned, like, you know, not flat surface. Yeah. And I know that the flat surface is what's so important too, or well, one of the pieces. And of the a big thing is, is paying attention. I mean, we all have to also just use our brains. Right. <laughs> when baby starts moving and rolling, that's when that becomes a problem. Right. If there's lots of soft fabric up around them and yes. they can start moving and turning and squirming and that's another reason we have to be careful about swaddling too long mm -hmm. because once they can move we don't want to restrict them because that becomes more dangerous than just letting them move naturally right so you know a another common question that we get is what happens if my baby falls asleep standing up or sitting what? up yeah like the baby will be up standing uh, holding on to the side of the crib you know fussing or whatever they're doing and, and then they fall asleep, asleep standing up it happens all the time <laughs> what I've what, never do, heard what do this. i do and you know it's always kind of this, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go put them back down or do you want to see what happens? Um, and it's kind of 50-50. Some parents are like, well, they've got to kind of figure out on their own that they shouldn't fall asleep standing up. Yeah. But you also don't want them to bonk their head falling down. So, right, right. Um, we always get a lot of funny questions about that. But I think it's, it's really just sometimes common sense about, you know, once they start moving around and they have different skill sets, sometimes we have to modify right. what our solution was a week ago or a day ago. Right. That is so weird. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Okay. What are the, okay. What are some of the top common mistakes that you see parents making if they are in fact trying to get their baby to sleep longer or better at night? Um, I would say there are three big ones. The first one, um, nursing to sleep is the most common issue. Um, or even bottling. I actually have a um, a client right now, um, or potential client, who was saying that their um, older child over the age of two still takes a sippy cup of milk to bed. Mm. And mm -hmm. even though mm -hmm. mom is not administering that process and mom is maybe not the sleep prop, um, they're still using something to help get them to sleep. And I'm not even going to go down the road about leaving a bottle yeah. in bed when there's milk and not brushing your teeth <laughs> and all of those types of issues. Um, but any type of feed to sleep association, really common. Another big one is not understanding what drowsy truly means. We always talk about um, falling asleep with your eyes closed is almost the same thing when we're dealing with a, a young child as just staring off into space while you're eating. So I always say oh. if you can wave your hand in front of their face and they don't react, they're already too far asleep. As long Even as they're not watching TV. Yes, not watching TV. We don't want no TVs. Um, but if you, you know, often the parents will say, well, their eyes are open. I know they're not sleeping. But if they've like, they're gazing off seven mile stare and you do that face wave and nothing happens, yeah. they're already to the, the milk or the nursing or the cuddling or the rocking has already started getting them too far into sleep and it's made them too drowsy. Okay. So I think not understanding what drowsy actually means so is that, a big common. Would that then be the time to put them in bed? So they're not no. quite. Oh. And so people always say, I know, drowsy, but not, you know, they have to be awake, but a little bit drowsy. Okay. 
Yes, they need to be ready for bed, but we don't want them to take any external, um, they don't need any external props to get them to a point of getting groggy. Even to that point. Yes. Okay. Because for a lot of children, they've already started to fall asleep with their eyes open. Right. So when you put them down, that's when parents will say, well, you know, they're really tired, so I started to move them to the crib, and as soon as I laid them down, they started screaming. Well, that's because they were already partially asleep. Okay. And we've all done it when you're, like, starting to fall asleep and you see yourself, like, falling off of a building or you, like, <laughs> yeah. kick and you startle. Yeah. It's the same thing that's happening to Right. Them. Okay. Yeah, I, I will say, I don't know who told me this. I don't know where I learned this, but with both of my kids, I would always put them to bed wide awake. Yes, wide and, awake is always the key. Yeah, and I for Paige, I kind of gave myself a little pat on the back, like, yeah, I did this because she slept through the night at six weeks. Like, mm-hmm. it's all me. But then I had Cameron. He was still a good sleeper. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. going to complain. He was, compared to some of, you know, whatever other stories I've heard, he was it can always Fantastic. be worse. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I did always put him to, to sleep wide awake as well, and I really think that's helped. At least yeah, wide I, awake. Yes. And parents think that's terrifying. I know. Wide I know. awake. Because you go to bed wide awake. Right. Exactly. Like, have you ever um, fallen asleep on the couch, and then you wake up after like an hour, and you have to go upstairs, and suddenly you're it's weird. You're super awake, or you're just feeling yes. kind of out of it? That actually happened to me the other day. I took. I, I never take naps. I fell mm-hmm. asleep. I must have been downstairs. I fell asleep downstairs, which never happens. I came upstairs to go to bed. It was one of those nights where I could not fall asleep for the life of me because it was almost like I'd gotten into REM sleep or something, mm-hmm. and then it just screwed with my whole night's sleep, the yeah. whole night. I mean, it was terrible. Yes. That's why I never yes. take naps. Yep. I mean, I know it's a little bit different for adults, but oof, I can, I can, <laughs> it does make what you're saying uh, make sense. Yes. Okay. So, okay, so this is a question kind of that I'm going to go into a little bit because I know your specialty is not necessarily for adults, but actually this is for kids specifically. But thoughts on melatonin and other sleep aids for kids, and then we'll talk about it with adults too. Sure. So I'm not opposed to melatonin because it is natural in the body. However, I think that there is a false um, perception that melatonin will be the magic sleep aid for Mm -hmm. children. And melatonin doesn't necessarily help our bodies continue to sleep. So if your child doesn't have independent sleep skills, it might help their body cue that it's bedtime and they might fall asleep easier. But if they don't know how to continue sleeping, Mm -hmm. that will not be the miracle solution to helping them continue to sleep. And I would be interested to hear what you say, but I've also heard that that's the same with adults. Although adults all have independent sleep skills because we all know how to put ourselves to sleep. Right. But it doesn't necessarily ensure longer sleep. It can just help you kind of chill out for the night. Right. And get to that point of relaxation. Yeah. I think I think in general, giving something to your kids that even if it helps them fall asleep, it's almost like another sleep prop. Mm-hmm. And then they don't have it with them always. Yes. You what? have to decide at some point, yeah. do I take it away or are they on melatonin for life? Yeah. And then what happens when I take it away if they never actually developed true independent sleep skills? Yeah. Because the hardest thing is getting, is falling asleep. I mean, I, I feel like at least for me, it is. I feel like that's, once when I wake up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, I haven't hit menopause yet. I hear it changes. Um, <laughs> <Me neither>. But <laughs> thankfully, I'm not looking forward to that. But 
when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can easily fall back asleep. It's not an issue for me. My biggest issue is falling asleep at night. And it's not always mm-hmm. an issue. I would say it has to do with my cycle. Mm-hmm. But I do take melatonin every once in a while. And I also give Paige, I don't give her melatonin. I give her like a little, this is from my doctor's re- recommendation, a little bit of Benadryl, mm-hmm. maybe like two or three times a year, specifically when she has a stuffy nose and she can't fall yeah. asleep. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one time I feel like it's okay. If you've ever had a toddler with a stuffy nose, Awful. You know, even being an adult with the stuff, you know, you lay back and you can't breathe. You can't get comfortable because you've got so much congestion. So we usually give her a little bit of Benadryl on those nights to help her kind of get over. It'll make her so tired that she doesn't even remember that she's got a stuffy nose and it helps her stuffy nose too. We usually give her a half dose, but there was a while, I think when she was about three, when she had this stuffy nose forever. And I found myself giving her Benadryl like back to back nights. And I was like, this cannot be good. Not because Benadryl is unsafe, but she needs to learn how to fall asleep, even with a stuffy nose at some point. So that's, I don't know. I don't want to, I, it, it can be addicting. Right. And I think it can be addicting even for kids, mm-hmm. even though they don't know it. Sure. We're giving it to them. Mm-hmm. They don't realize this external you know, medicine, even if it's natural, was helping them fall asleep. Yeah. And then we don't give it to them. All of a sudden they can't fall asleep. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. And you bring up a good point. I personally, as a parent, I would always rather try sleep as a behavioral issue. So I would always rather try to get them to learn the skills that they need before I just give them something to ingest. Right. And you reminded me that we also see with babies with colic that if they just get the sleep that they need, that there's a reduction in colic. Ah. So before you start giving them all types of drops and medication and all these different things to try to solve it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Try getting them to sleep and like go back to the numbers that we talked about. Are they getting enough sleep? Hmm. Because a lot of times if you could reduce the amount of prescriptions or anything that you're giving your child to ingest. I think most parents would say they would rather try something else. Yeah. But the easier solution is to just give them medicine. Right. Um, but sometimes easiest, well, actually most of the time, easiest isn't best. Isn't best. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. I, I agree. Okay. So, and then I guess since we're talking about melatonin real quick, I was going to discuss it with regards to adults as well, because I'm going to put a link in our show notes to one of my favorite melatonins. I think I I used to take melatonin like every once in a while in the pill form, and it never did anything for me. Mm. I found this melatonin chocolate, oh. and I think maybe because it's in chocolate form, it is very odd. I almost think that there's something else in this medicine, but there's there's not. I mean, there's I, at least I don't think so. How would I know? There's but then supplements. you also get they the feel-good release from the chocolate. I mean, that it's got to be a combination. Oh, my gosh. But it, it's called Zen something or other. And it's it, I put, the, again, the link in our in our show notes. But I don't even take the – it's a three-milligram chocolate. I will probably take one-eighth of this chocolate. And maybe it's also more of a, a placebo effect for me. Mm-hmm. But every single time I take it, I fall right to sleep. And you're right. I don't necessarily get a whole night's sleep. I'll still get up and go to the bathroom on those nights sometimes. But – it helps me fall asleep, which is sure. what I need. Usually like that last two weeks before my period, I find, mm-hmm. is when I can't sleep as well or I can't fall asleep as well. So according to the Natural Medicines Comprehensive Database, when taken by mouth, melatonin is likely safe for most, for most adults, um, but that's short term. And they don't give specifics on what short term means. So basically, not every day for the rest of your life, I would say probably like maybe you can do it off and on or when you're traveling and changing times. If I go to Arizona or California, mm-hmm probably a good idea to take some melatonin. 
Uh, melatonin is possibly safe when taken by mouth appropriately long-term. So it's likely safe when taken short-term and possibly safe. So there might be some studies out there that show it's not safe is what this is saying when taken long-term. It's been used safely for up to two years in some people. However, it can, it can cause some side effects, including headaches, short-term feelings of depression, daytime sleepiness, dizziness, stomach cramps, irritability, which I think really has to do with how much you're taking. Mm -hmm. If you're taking too much, it probably would actually have the opposite effect on your sleep. So, And then for kids, it says melatonin is possibly safe when taken by mouth short-term. Melatonin is usually well tolerated when taken in doses up to three milligrams per day in children and five milligrams per day in adolescents, which again, that just sounds crazy. These chocolates, it's, I don't even, again, I probably take one eighth, maybe even sometimes um, one fourth of the chocolate and it, it just does the trick. So what's that? Less than one milligram of, of mm -hmm. melatonin. So I did give a piece to Paige once, uh, a tiny little piece of this chocolate. When we were on our way home from Michigan, actually with my podcast co-host, she we had just visited her. And the, both the kids were in the car. It was 9 p.m. and they were still wide awake. We, we thought they'd fall asleep at maybe 7, 8 o'clock. Oh, no. We were close to home and they were still wide awake. So I gave, gave her a little piece of the chocolate. She fell asleep when we got home. I don't know if it was because she was actually tired, which she probably was, or if it was the melatonin that helped, or it could have been a little bit of both, but she liked it. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it is, it's actually really tasty. And I don't even like white chocolate. When is any kind of medicine tasty? <laughs> I know, rare, unless it's an earache medicine, which I actually really love. <laughs> okay, so what about, okay, so the next question is, what are some of your favorite must-have sleep products for babies or toddlers? Okay. This one is a passion point for me. Um, one of the things that we talked about early on was, um, swaddling mm -hmm. and we usually recommend you start dropping the swaddle between 12 and 16 weeks. So oh. then most, yeah, that's a big surprise for a lot of people. Um, so then we are looking for alternative options, um, for sleep sacks and things like that. Our family is a zippity zip family. Mm -hmm, I saw um, that. Yeah, the zippity zip. Uh, most people know it as the starfish sleep sack. Um, so we really like those. We've been using them since Lane was about three months old, and he is now 18 months old, and he is in the 2T uh, version of the zippity zip. Um, fun tip for moms of boys um, they actually recommend keeping toddler boys in a zippity zip zipped up backwards to help prevent them from escaping from the crib. Oh. So that's kind of a fun one um, because they can't spread their legs far enough to hoist themselves over the crib. So it's kind of a nice uh, thing to prevent them from getting out of the crib. I'm not there yet, but I've heard that it does wonders. Okay. So zippity zips are great. Um, I think you're going to put a link for those. Yep. Another really popular one is a halo sleep sack, mm -hmm, which is another good one. Um, very popular. The zippity zip is a little bit less of a sleep sack, uh, less like bell shaped and more, like I said, of the star. Um, so wait, does it keep your feet? I, I don't remember. I can't visualize yeah. it. Is it just the feet and not the arms that are in the sack? The arms are in the sack too, oh, they are. but they're in. You can also get, I think it's called the flying squirrel that your hands can come out that's made by Zippity Zip. Okay. Um, but uh, we, Lane likes to, you, it's a wearable blanket. Okay. So it's bigger than a sleep sack, but it's safe because they can't, it, it has like a clear neckline and it okay. zips up. Um but he likes to use it like a blanket, so he'll like suck on the hand the hand parts of it, okay, um, to help him. That's his self soothing technique to keep him 
asleep. So okay. we love those. Um, halos are good. Another one that I hear a lot about is like the nested bean or the Merlin. Those are a little tiny bit of a sleep prop because they use weight. Yeah. Um, and so they're not terrible, but again, it's kind of like that melatonin. You're going to have to make a decision at some point to take it away. Yeah. And if that's what helped them get to sleep, you're kind of back to square one. So yeah. um, the zippity zip and the halo are great because they don't provide a, a sleep prop in the process. Okay. Yeah, that's what we used. So those are good ones. Um, any kind of sound machine that makes white noise, um, Amazon has a gazillion options. And for our toddlers, I really like the okay to wait clock. Um, mm -hmm. We usually see starting around two. Um, those are a good age to start using clocks that kind of signal um, using colors or some kind of fun animation that it's okay to get up. Um, so get up and out of your bed, you're yes, saying? Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, we always try to encourage... Um, when our, we work with clients that we're trying to teach the kids that they need to stay in their room and be quiet until mom and dad or another caregiver comes to get you. Okay. Um, it's not yelling for mom and dad. It's not crying. <laughs> it's not getting out of your room to come get them. You're waiting until it's time, unless something's wrong. And that's one of the great things about having a child that sleeps really well is that when they wake up in the middle of the night, you know, something's actually wrong. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but the okay to wake clock can be really helpful for that. So we love that one. And then for I, we're a traveling family. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see um, all kinds of shenanigans of Lane um, sleeping in hotel bathrooms and pack and plays. Mm -hmm. He's like the master of sleeping on the road. Um, but I'm a big fan of the slumber pod. Um, Lane doesn't use one, but it's a great alternative for families that need to be able to cover up a pack and play. It's yeah. kind of like a tent like structure uh -huh, um, for families on the road. Okay, neat. All right. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Cameron slept in our in our bed or bathroom up here for, until he was about eight months. Perfect. In a bassinet. <laughs> I to parents, I tell them all the time they're missing the boat on um, closets and bathrooms yeah. yes. as a dark place and uh -huh. close can, by because yep. you know I was still yep. waking up twice and but well, not right by your bed exactly because yep. I couldn't. I mean, he made those every, yes, all the little kids yes. their little noises, their little breathing, and then every time you hear them like stop making the noises, you think there's something wrong. Yep. So I was like, all right, you're going into the bathroom. I'm shutting the door. We've got a Perfect. big bathroom over there, so it wasn't you know. Tiny. Not that he wouldn't yeah. care if it was. So I mean, one of our biggest tricks is when we travel, we I will call hotels and I will ask the front desk, is your bathroom shower big enough for me to put a pack and play in? <laughs> and these the people, shower? Yeah, we'll often so that you can still go in and go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's true. So we'll true. actually ask for like an ADA shower <laughs> so that the um pack and play will fit and then we'll just drape a sheet over the door so he can't see. Oh my gosh. That's I mean, brilliant. I've got all of the <laughs> All of the tricks. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So let's see. We did. Oh, favorite must have sleep products for adults. So real quick, because again, I know you're not a, um, your, your focus is more on babies and toddlers sleep. So just for general adult tips, I've heard a lot of presentations over the years about how to get good sleep as an adult. And I just want to kind of go over a few, I don't know, misperceptions when it comes yes. to how adults can get good sleep. So one of the biggest ones I would say is alcohol. Mm. So a lot of people that I know, including family and friends, think that alcohol helps them go to sleep. People say that all the time. Just have a glass of wine. Oh, my You'll gosh. You'll sleep better tonight. Oh, I used to believe it. <laughs> oh, I'll just have a little glass of red wine. It'll help me sleep. So technically, sure, it might actually help me fall asleep, but it does not give you good sleep. It's not quality sleep. Yes. So your REM sleep will not be as um, as good. Overall, I mean, one of the reasons why you get, quote unquote, hung over when drinking a lot is because- not just because of the alcohol, it's because you didn't get good sleep. Mm -hmm. Not to say that one glass of wine is going to give you a hangover, 
but you're not going to get good quality sleep, so you might not feel that great in the morning. So it might actually help you put to go to sleep, but it's not going to give you that good quality sleep that's really important. Yeah. Uh, let's see, falling asleep with a screen, like a TV or an iPad. This is really big now since so many of us are looking at our cell phones or iPads or TVs before we go to sleep. I know my husband, when we first started dating, he couldn't fall asleep without the TV and I'm the opposite. Like I have to have a dark room, no light, no sound in order to fall asleep. So thankfully, he sort of <laughs> has migrated into my sleep habits, which, which I'm very thankful. Which are thankful. healthier. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and I actually just read a study. I should have brought it, but it was a really small study. So, But I'm sure there's lots of other replications of this that going to bed with any type of, of a screen or a light uh, actually will inc- has detrimental effects on your weight long term. Which makes sense because when you don't get good sleep, you produce more of the ghrelin hormone, which makes you hungrier. So mm-hmm. not to say that weight is everything. It's not necessarily about weight. It's really just about health that oh, I'm talking about sure. here. So uh, what's the other thing? Oh, so there's also those blue – the blue light on your screens is really what kind of affects your sleep long term. Or if you're falling asleep with the TV on and then the TV light is glaring throughout the night and m- might keep you awake or mm-hmm. – maybe prompt you to stay awake when you wake up. But they also have those blue light screen covers I would recommend if you do want to still like check your mail before you go to bed. Also the glasses. So I know some phones have the like blue light app that turns off. Does that actually work? So I feel like my husband tried to download that once and he said it was crap. Mine just has a setting. You turn off the blue light and it it makes the screen look kind of like brownish. Is it an iPad or a phone? Uh, No, it's a Pixel. Okay, because I was going to say, we, I don't think Google's on top of everything. No Maybe. kidding. They <laughs> Maybe really, really are. I agree with you. No, we had to buy like, on Amazon. It was like $10, maybe a screen that you put over your iPad. And that's what mm. Nick uses. He says he likes it. Great. Uh, another thing that you might not realize, if you, if you don't think you're getting good quality sleep, have your dentist check out your if you're grinding. Um, oh, because yeah. that is two things. Both of my husband and I were such nerds when we go to bed. We put in our little mouth guards. <laughs> Because we both grind it's like at a night. Game. Okay, <laughs> I know we're getting ready to fight. No, we both grind at night, and I've been wearing my mouth guard for years. He just started wearing one probably four months ago, and he says he already notices a difference in his sleep. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Because he was grinding, he always made weird noises in his sleep, and I never really thought much of it, but I just thought it was weird. Like, like I'm looking back, and it was him grinding in the middle of the night, hmm. which isn't good for your teeth, sure, or your sleep. And then lastly, they say that the ideal temperature is between, this is crazy, 60 and 67 degrees, which I totally believe because there, I would say the majority of times when I cannot fall asleep at night, it's because I'm hot. hot. Yep. Yes. I I cannot stand being hot. I'll kick off all the covers. I'll take off all my clothes and I'm still hot. So 60 to 67, even, I mean, that's really cold, but you know, 70 even would be probably ideal. But just don't keep it hot if you can. You know, if you don't have air conditioning or, I mean, some people, for us, for example, our air conditioning doesn't come all the way up here. We're at the top floor right now of our house. So we have a just a standalone air conditioning unit, which mm-hmm. saves our lives when it's 95 degrees out in September. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. They make those. Um, we, I was going to get one. My husband's always hot. We have two fans <laughs> running in our room and our house is set at 68. Holy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Between my husband and our Siberian Husky, it's always necessary to be under 70 degrees in our house. Um, But he's still, that's still not cool enough for him. Wow. So they make these really cool, I have no idea who makes them. We should research it. 
it's like this um, kind of L-shaped or maybe like seven-shaped fan that okay. goes under your sheets <gasps> and blows cool air between your sheets. What? And it like runs up against your bed and then there's Wait, like- do you one. have one? No, but I was going to buy one. I think, I want to say, was it like Brookstone or something? That sounds But they were amazing. sold out going into Christmas. I don't know why at Christmas, usually at Christmas time, people aren't worried about being hot in their rooms, but- Right, well. Um, sometimes the heat, I mean, when you go inside and it's yeah. too hot, I mean, yeah. that's the thing about- Not in our house, but- temperature. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> lucky because when you do go through menopause or when you have your second baby if you ever decide to have one I feel like I got more hot after having my second baby oh yeah now I'm always hot great so and it's only going to get worse as we get closer to menopause I keep saying that but it's true so usually men and women are fighting over the thermometer because the man wants it to be hotter and then the woman wants I will never I will I will always be the one like can we just maybe back that up a little bit it's a little (laughs) cold in here well consider yourself lucky (laughs) Okay, so finally, Hallie, where can we find you? Yeah, where can we find you? Um, the easiest way to find me is to follow me on Instagram, and you can find me at the underscore sleep underscore bay, the sleep bay. And I do lots of tips, um, lots of um, information on travel because that's another passion point for me, and you can always ask questions on there too. Awesome. And then your website? Um, sleepwiseconsulting.com. Yeah, which we will also put in the show notes so you don't have to remember all that. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Hallie. That Thanks was for very having informative. Me. I almost yeah. want to have another baby and just use all your Try tips. again. Just, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> all right, so coming up on September 29th, we will be dishing about protein bars. In fact, we will be recording our first taste test podcast where we will start with a handful of protein bars taste them while recording and give our honest non-sponsored feedback until then keep in touch with us on social media at dietitians dish podcast on both facebook and instagram also please tell your friends about us they can find us on numerous outlets such as overcast itunes stitcher spotify and pocket cast if you listen on itunes be sure to leave us a review we promise it only takes a few seconds and you don't even have to write anything you can just fill out the stars in fact we got a great review i believe last week, which we'll have to read on our next podcast when Nicole's here. So thanks everyone for listening. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.